Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Echoes of Glory. I'm Jack and today I'm joined by football writer Darren Lewis. Darren's an industry leading writer and journalist who also makes regular appearances on high profile football shows such as the Sunday Supplement and TalkSport. So Darren, welcome to Echoes of Glory. Thank you very much for having me, Darren. Uh, really so firstly, before we start, thank you for your time because I know you're a very busy man and it's a pleasure to, to meet you and we've just been chatting for 20 minutes or so off air, so I'm really, really excited for what, what today's podcast is going to bring. Mm. So let's go straight into it. So I would like to take you back to childhood or where mm. football first started for you. So why do you love the beautiful game and how did you first get into football? I um, fell in love. I enjoyed football in, in the 70s, obviously, in spite of some of the negative things that are around at the time. I really enjoyed watching it, but I fell in love with it in the 1982 World Cup, uh, watching players like Junior, Socrates, Adair, Falcao, yeah. stroking the ball around, literally strolling it yeah. in, in matches. It was just... A, a thing of beauty, you know. I remember them beating Scotland in one particular match, and uh, and, and I remember another match where the headline on the back of one red top tabloid was just brilliant. Yeah, and amazing. It was just a point where I felt I probably even fell in love subliminally with tabloid news yeah. papers as well. Just that ability to be able to sum up the experience in one pithy catchphrase or yeah. headline um, and yeah that I, I would say that was a period where I was everyone's got their match hasn't yeah they? What, what's your match well one of my early memories of going to, to football especially going to Spurs and this is still the greatest goal I've ever seen and people <laughs> laugh when I say it and it's Steve Carr against Man United at White Hart Lane <laughs> not known for his goals pick the ball up just inside the opposition half beats a man and just hits it from 25 yards yeah, in the top yeah. corner and yeah. I was I was very young at the time but I was there with my dad and it's just one of those memories yeah, that even yeah. thinking about it now it, it still feels like I'm there and it you feels like it was it. yesterday yeah. and uh, that's what football does right and it's funny because I you know I obviously seeing those matches with Brazil in 82 and I remember they obviously they eventually played Italy and Paolo Rossi was, was sensational yeah. in that match but then when you see it years later in the opening credits of any of, of, of World Cup coverage and obviously in those days there's Lionel and then uh, Gary Lineker would present it and, and eventually I, I didn't really get to see it on TV because each World Cup I would be there yeah. yeah. but you know when you would see it you would think well you know I actually saw that match yeah. you know when, when that iconic Amazing. moment happened and yeah it's hard not to be in love with football after you see something like that yeah that's brilliant. And you mentioned a few players there. Yeah. Uh, who are sort? I mean, I'm sure you've you've seen a, a selection of great <laughs> players. So, are there any that stand out for you that you're like, wow, they just they had it? Um, I loved watching Socrates back then, um, just because it, it, he was just so flawless. I, I I mean, listen, let's not kid ourselves. I didn't get to see him playing in the Brazilian league or you know the, the club level, but. Because obviously at that time you, you didn't get to see anything other thing anything other than club level football, the big match, sports night match of yeah. the day, whatever, or European football or World Cup football. But I think um, just watching him when I did see him play, he was just so unruffled, so calm, mm. so imperious. And it's weird because after that, I mean, eighty six. They were obviously a terrific side as well. But as the years went on, the Brazilian team got more European with their style of play and less 
uh, swaggery, less yeah. less uh, imperious is the only word I can think of where they would play in a match and just not be bothered by the opposition yeah. at all. Just string 10, 12, 14 passes together yeah. and then hit one in the top corner. Uh, so, you know, listen, in that time, domestically, there were some wonderful players uh, for a number of clubs. Uh, and obviously, John Barnes was, was mm. the guy that inspired me to support Liverpool yeah. because uh, there he was at Watford doing great things despite and I keep having to mention the negativity I'm sure yeah. you know what I mean Yeah. Um, but yeah he was still managing to, to do the business and then he go, goes to Liverpool and you follow the man yeah. rather than the, the, the and that's amazing that a player can have that much sort of like I guess power and influence that actually yeah. people will won't will, will follow and change clubs and and I'm so inspired and invested in that person yeah. that I'm going to follow them. When you're young, when you're young, uh, when you're a young black guy, you 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 are you obviously have your internal, your home, family role mm. models. You know, everyone has their role models. I'm sure you know, mm. you've got your dad or uncles or brothers or whatever else. But outside of that, when you've got a society when there aren't a lot of positive role models on TV mm. or you know then you look for them in sport maybe um, and he was one of them mm. you know obviously you know there were upstanding boxers you know obviously Ali being one yeah. of them you know but the, in football he, he was this guy and, and he, it wasn't just me there's a whole generation of football fans and players who were inspired by him just like there are a whole generation of football fans and players inspired by Ian Wright yeah. or Thierry Henry or Garth Crooks, you know, yeah. and, you know, and uh, you know, he he was it. So, in that period, um, Maradona in '86 was just one of those. Yeah, well, what a place to have seen. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not bad. Not a bad selection there, is there? A few <laughs> names that are not bad. Um, what point did you realise that you wanted to work in this industry? Like, was was there a moment for you where you were like? that's my passion, I'm just going to go after it, or did, did something happen? Yeah, well, I was talking about some of the uh, inspirations for me, and, and in journalism, it was Trevor McDonald. Mm. When I was a kid, I'd seen him on TV. He was the positive role model for me, and I just wanted to be him. You know? yeah. In an industry where I, well, I didn't know anything about the industry, so I can't mm. start getting convoluted or anything like that, but... When you watched TV, and you have to remember at that time, I, I guys were either getting stick on TV, or they were portraying sort of roles that were like I don't know if you ever saw Starsky and Hutch and Huggy yeah. Bear and like yeah. that sort of role. So to see this guy who was just so polished, so eloquent, mm. so dignified, it, he was the guy mm. that I wanted to be, and. I'd, I'd, I'd actually never met him and I'd, li I'd like to meet him but yeah. because he was just such an inspiration and, and he still is obviously a national treasure on yeah. TV and, and, and I'd, lo I'd love to meet him. I don't know what I'd say. I'd probably be speechless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's brilliant. But so, yeah, he, he was the guy. He was yeah. that guy. Um, so once you'd obviously figured out you know, that, that's the kind of path I want to go down, how did you, how did you get into it? Because there's a lot of people now that are like, Oh, you know, I'd love to be a sports writer. I'd love to be a commentator mm. and do this, do that. Mm. How do you actually get into the industry? Well, at the time, I worked for a local newspaper, and and I got into it literally by writing off and saying that I'd like to come along and do some work experience. Mm. And 
initially I worked for nothing because I just wanted to do it yeah. and I was happy to do it. Yeah. And then even though when I did get the job, it was still a really, well, I don't mind saying that, it was, it was five grand a year, mm. uh, which... It's pennies, isn't it? Nothing. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was nothing. And, and, and often, you know, you get, wouldn't eat very much or, you know, you wouldn't, uh, which obviously made ensure that I was a lot slimmer than I am now <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it, it, I honestly Jack I, I just didn't care because yeah. I got to do the job and then mm. what happened was I was um, able to I got a couple of good stories that I was able to sell on to a regional paper and the journalist that I sold them to um, he eventually said look do you want to come in and do a few shifts and it was there that I met a couple of people who, uh, because at that time I was a news journalist. Mm. Yeah, so you did all of the yeah. police calls and death knocks and you know local stuff, which I actually found really rewarding. Mm. Uh, meeting people, talking to people, hearing their stories, investigating and building relationships. I loved that. Yeah, uh, and. It's great as well because you get you meet people who are harsh, but constructive at the same time, mm. and that was great because it helped you to make your mistakes and it helped you to to learn how to to write, full yeah. stop, and and people you know there is this misconception that you get into sports journalism and then it's the glamour straight away. Yeah, it's not true. Yeah, you know because when I went into sports journalism, my first match was Barnet against Darlington. Uh, definitely not glamorous definitely yeah. not glamorous no it was at the their old stadium and uh, with the sloping pitch yeah. and Underhill I was trying to yeah, remember yeah. the name of the stadium and it, I probably got about a, a match report of about five paragraphs and I thought it was the greatest thing yeah. I'd ever done in my life yeah. and I was showing everyone that would listen I'll put it on the fridge and everything <laughs> <laughs> amazing it, it was and and you know, there, there there are a lot of good people that I got to thank for for sort of giving me a chance, uh, and then once you get the chance, you just hang in there really and 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 work hard and again, you still continue to make mistakes because mm. any job that's you life, get, right? Yeah. That's life exactly, but you know, it, it was just fun and the, the sort of you are surprised by how quickly time passes mm. when when you do a job you love. Yeah, you know. Um, you hear great stories, you meet great people, uh, you have great experiences. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Yeah, and if you were to pick out one or two sort of highlights or experiences that you've had from the job over the years, what would you say are the ones that oh. stand out? Put you on the spot there with that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, highlights. Wow. Well, one highlight would be seeing Ronaldinho score against Chelsea and for Barcelona in the new camp. Hmm which was just incredible. What a player. Uh, just what a player. It, honestly, it's swiveling his hips on the edge of the 18-yard box and then f somehow finding a way past a, a three or four defenders in the bottom corner. Yeah. Just a magnificent... Yeah. And it, it wasn't just the goal as well, it was the celebration and the way that the new camp lit up and yeah. it was just magnificent. But also there was a... That being in Russia last year, Argentina play Nigeria, and Leo Messi scores an outstanding goal. Mm. 
and you, you just think it, it's a volley right side of the box and it's just like <laughs> you're, you're doing the match report and everything but you're just thinking actually I probably better not say that <laughs> <laughs> But, but you are, but it, it, you could have, like, yeah, yeah, I think we all know, but yeah, we all know what you were <laughs> thinking. Like, I've spilled my tea, <laughs> um, and and it was it was just a brilliant, brilliant experience. Yeah, there's so many, you know, meeting players and stuff, and yeah, um, and 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 big matches where teams have rattled in goals, or epic matches where mm. you just you know the game's going one way and then the other, um. But straight away, when you say that, they are instinctively the yeah. two things that come Amazing. to mind. There probably are others, but they're the things yeah. that come to mind at the moment. How much have you seen football change over the years? And by that, I mean sort of like the function of football. So nowadays, there's a lot of big modern stadiums, Spurs being one of them. It's a lot more commercial and it feels like a lot more of sort of almost a theatre experience mm. than sort of even going back. 10 years where the grounds were a bit more lively it just felt mm. felt a little bit dirtier and a bit just sort Rhyme, of more yeah. like a yeah yeah if you if you know what i mean so how much have you have you seen football change in that respect well i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing but i think it has changed quite considerably it's more of an experience uh, rather than you going to watch the game and going home at the final whistle uh, i think the monetization of football means mm. that people who run clubs want to keep you yeah so you know and again I think that's no bad thing because you know you go to the, the, your club's a good example because if you look at Spurs what they eventually want to do is turn the area around the new stadium into a sort of village if you like yeah. and there are lots of things you could do there lots of things you can already do within the stadium you know the, the facilities are magnificent yeah. And, and it just means that you can... Obviously, we all hope these things happen in the right line. People don't just go and want to get drunk and whatever else, but they just want to have a nice family time. Mm -hmm. And what they are trying to create there would enable you to have that. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. What the only de the flip side to that is that the, the average family, there is the fear that the average family is being priced out of yeah. football. And when you look at the costs involved in football in this country compared to other countries, you realise that is a really valid concern. You know, you look at Germany yeah. as, a, as a good example and you realise that it's affordable in that country. And mm -hmm. here, you know, if you want to take, if you're, if you're a husband, wife and two kids or whatever, you know, it, you're not getting that. It's not doable, shit. is it? It's yeah. just not yeah, doable, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no. So if you're asking me how football has changed, that that is the big concern mm. with football, that there is this detachment for all of the glit, glitter and stadium and, all the great things that they're doing to make it an experience, that experience is a little bit beyond the average mm. family who want to go and enjoy it. Mm. I think that word detachment that you use there is a really interesting one because speaking to a lot of Spurs fans over the last few months, that's been the word that's come up a lot. Mm. And it's just sort of, it's not that, that fans don't love their club or they don't love the game as much, they just maybe don't feel as part of it anymore, yeah. which is yeah. really, really interesting, a really unique sort of step that football's taken because yeah it's just it's not really something that you hear fans say a lot oh, I feel a bit detached from the game still love it but you know I'm, I, it doesn't mean as much to them because I don't mean as much to them anymore yeah, that, that kind yeah. of mindset which I think is you know football to a certain extent there is this concern I don't know how valid it is but there is this concern that football 
isn't really targeting this current generation. Mm-hmm. It's targeting the Netflix generation. You know, the, yeah. the the generation that is going to be able to embrace the technology and you know is going to buy into all of the new innovations yeah. in the game rather yeah. than the traditionalists who would prefer it to be like it was growing up. Yeah. And so it might well be that that detachment is here to stay. Mm. You know, and that football people enjoy their football in a different way over the coming years. Mm. And I think it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just it's just a change, and people tend to not like change, right? And it's just about adapting to it, and maybe as you say, trying to embrace it. But for some fans, especially the older fan, they sort of there are Spurs fans now that look at the new stadium and look at it with a little bit of. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you think of that? Because I think that new stadium is fantastic. I think that it's got some great innovations in it. I love the the, the, the wall. Uh, yeah, the south stand, the wall. The south yeah, stand, thank you. Um, obviously, loosely based on Dortmund's yeah. yellow wall, but but there are some people who, who don't like it, and there are some people who, who are, are still quite wistful for White Hart Lane. Yeah, where are you on that? I love it. I absolutely love the new stadium. I was very very apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Purely because I absolutely loved the old stadium. Mm. It was amazing. We'll talk about that Steve Carr goal. There's so many memories from my childhood that are there. And I think about them now and it's the the old, just the look and the feel of the stadium. What I think the club did so, so well was, in my opinion, when I went back to the new ground, Mm. it felt like I was at White Hot Lane. It didn't feel like I was at somewhere new. I mean, we had those couple of years at Wembley and obviously we knew that was never going to be home, but... Wembley never felt right at any no. point. Whereas going back to the to White Hot Lane, you go to the same train station, it's the same walk, it's yeah, the same calf, yeah, you see all yeah, the same yeah. faces, and you get inside the ground. And I thought that they did such a great job at keeping the feel of mm. the stadium. My season tickets in that south stand, okay, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah. And you look back, I mean, I'm I'm quite tall to the front. You look back and you see rows and rows of fans, and you just think, wow, this is incredible. It, we've we've taken a little bit of stick about the atmosphere maybe not being amazing, but my, my comeback to that is always, you go to any stadium in the world, yeah. the atmosphere is not bouncing every single week. No, no, it's not, no, you know, no. no disrespect, Southampton at home, you're not gonna have no. 60,000 fans and it's and it just absolutely crazy, it, it doesn't work like that. But there have been some special nights there already. I mean, the first game against Crystal Palace and the one nil win in the Champions League against Man City was just yeah, was that, you know, matches, that yeah. Man City night, it felt like as supporters that we that we were pulling the ball towards the yeah, goal yeah. at that end, and when Sun did score, you know, it was just. I love the ground. I think it's absolutely brilliant. There are some negatives with it, of course there are, and you do get a lot more non-football fans there. But that's you know that's what you sort of got to take if you're going to have that beautiful stadium. We're going to have all the revenue we're going to make from it. There's always going to be a part of that, right? And that's the thing because I mean I you know travelling to watch pre-season games or whatever else and you see the appetite for Premier League football around the world and then you know that if local people can't afford it people will come from outside the locality who can yeah. and it, it's not necessarily a good thing for fans but the clubs I wouldn't go as far as to say they don't care because clearly they do care about their, 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 their fans their lifeblood and yeah. etc but 
they will still be able to benefit because those people will meet the costs of being able to, to, to yeah. enjoy the experience. And I think as football fans, we've all gone around the world on holidays and gone to games. Mm. It's just part of being a football fan, isn't it? Like, so like, I, I think you're, it's, it's deluded to think that the, the ground's just going to be 60,000 Spurs mm. fans and that's it. You're always going to have friends and tourists and that. And it, we had it at the old ground, it just wasn't at the same volume, but yes. the volume for everything's gone up. Yeah. The fans there, the amount of beer being drunk, every, everything's <laughs> gone up, right? So, But I'm a massive fan of the stadium. I think it's amazing what we've done. And to see Tottenham from when I started following them in the late 90s to where we are now, I mean, I wouldn't, I dreamed for a decade of maybe I might get one game where I can see us in the Champions League. And then four months ago, I'm in Madrid watching this in the final, you know? It you know, was just... it's funny because I, I, when I started covering Spurs, I think it was Santini was in charge. Mm. And the one thing that was consistent about Spurs was their inconsistency. Yeah, we're was... a cup team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. And barely. And one of the things, I, I mean, I, I'm a Liverpool fan, but I've got a lot of Spurs fans. Who are, and one of the things I often get from people that I bump into or friends of mine, you're a, Liverpool, you're a Spurs fan, aren't you? No, I just yeah. cover them. I yeah. just cover them and that's it. But um, one of the things I say is that, you know, Spurs fans, and I'm, I'm sure you must be one of them, and the ones listening now might disagree with me, but lots of people say now the club should be doing more in the Carabao Cup or mm. the FA Cup. But my argument to that and this is just from an outsider's point of view, watching the, the, the evolution of the team, is that you need the top four in the Champions League because you need higher calibre players to enable the club to move on to another level. Yeah. And you've done the League Cup, you know, you've done the FA Cup. What you need to do now is be consistent in those competitions mm. because oh, yeah. that's what's going to increase your revenue and that's what's going to attract quality players. Top players aren't that bothered. It's not particularly nice to say, but top players aren't as bothered by the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. Mm. You know, and we can talk about the FA Cup and it being the oldest cup competition in the world and I know a lot of my colleagues feel very strongly about how cherished that competition mm. is, but the reality is that some of the higher cal- calibre players from abroad, it, it doesn't matter so much to them as, as the Champions League does and as winning the title does. Yeah. And that's what I think Spurs now have to be invested in. My, my view has completely changed probably in the last 18 months where I haven't been blessed to have seen us min, win many trophies. I mean, I'm 25. I haven't even seen Spurs in an FA Cup final, which is, you know, it's quite a painful statement to make. But I know about the tradition, you know, but, mm. you know, the, Spurs is passed down in my family for a generation. So mm. they all talk about the 80s and winning back-to-back FA Cups. Yeah, and yeah. Mate, so it is a big thing for me. And I was always of the mindset of, you've got to be winning trophies. That's, that's the benchmark. But I completely agree with what you've just said in terms of Paolo Dybala, who we were linked with, where we linked with him, was it going to happen? That's a separate discussion. He's not going to join based on the fact that we've just won the FA Cup. But oh, and also we finished tenth. We won the FA Cup. Exactly. He's going to join. Well, we got to the Champions League final. Exactly. We finished in the top four. We've got Champions League coming again next season. That it's sad and it's mm. painful. It doesn't hurt me as much to say it, but even the FA Cup, I would put that in the same category as the Carabao Cup. Now that it, it yeah. it's a yeah. great day out for the fans, mm. and I get the point about oh, you need a winning mentality and all. That. And, I, and I do agree with that to a certain extent, but. Watching Spurs in the 90s and early 2000s, at best we were a cup team, and yeah. that's being generous because we didn't win many. 
And we strived for so many years to be a consistent side and to be able to beat the rubbish teams at home where we traditionally always struggled. And we have that now, but yet there's still a, there's still a minority of fans that, that, want, that would say, oh, losing that game against Colchester was absolutely disaster. See, and I, I think I was doing talk sport that night and, and I, I just couldn't understand why they, they were so angry because... The club have moved on. The club are not a Carabao Cup side anymore. They're not a League Cup side anymore. And I think, it, really, that competition should be the competition where you're fielding the fringe players and the younger players, mm. not the higher, not the higher caliber players. They should be rested for the bigger challenges ahead. And I think you touched on something that's so true about Spurs. Pochettino's changed the mentality of the team. So they don't get terrified now when they go to Man United or Liverpool. Yeah. Okay, the people oh, they lost the other day, but the fact is that they go there with the belief. And I, you know, I'll explain something to you. I remember doing a, a press conference after a Saturday game ahead of a Champions League game where Spurs were playing Real Madrid. And a few of us, I don't know if you at Wembley, so yeah. after the game, we go there up. up we go downstairs to the press room and then we go out to the mix zone where the players pass yeah. through. And a, a little huddle of us were around Pochettino and we said, so how are you going to approach this game in Madrid? And he says, we're going to go out there to attack. Mm. And there's a little Mexican wave of eyebrows going up because we're all thinking, well, you're going to get slaughtered if yeah. you go to an attack. And he says, no, the, this club has to believe that it can go to big clubs and attack. And... You know, he played Winks, I think, in that game. Yeah, in the pivot in midfield, yeah. And again, you know, you look at the, 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 the team shit and you think, this is a suicide note, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. But you go in and quit yourself well, you know. And, and, and this is my point. I think Pochettino has changed the mentality. Certainly, I'm not a fan, so you guys know infinitely mm. better than I do. But I, from the outside looking in and from having covered the club, the best five years of me covering top. Maybe I would say that year when you got into the Champions League for the first time under Redknapp. Yeah. That was a good year. Yeah. yeah that was a you had got the win at City. Yeah. Uh, and and that was a really good good year because there were a number of players who were on the fringes and couldn't get a game. And suddenly, when the injuries struck, you had to get those players back on side. That was yeah. great management yeah. to keep those players motivated enough to come in and keep that little run going yeah. that got you in the Champions League. But Pochettino being at the club. I think he's changed the mentality. You guys don't even talk anymore about finishing ahead of your neighbours down mm. the road now. And that used to be the big thing and they used to have a little laugh at your expense yeah. and whatever else. And I, I remember writing pieces suggesting, you know, this you know, could be the year and then you guys would mess up and I'd be like, that's it, now I'm in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's always our year, <laughs> But But, you know, eventually you guys did do it. And once you did it, you kept doing it. And that's why, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I just, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, whenever I hear people sort of saying, is Pochettino's tie up or should Pochettino go, you've got, really got to be careful what you wish for because if that guy goes, there is no telling that the next guy is going to be able to keep your place in the Champions League. And you look at Arsenal and you look at Man United and you see how easily it is to take that seat at the top table for granted. Mm. And then when you f lose that seat, it's hard to get yeah. it back. Yeah. You know, Arsenal, for all the money, all the quality they've got, 
you know, all the money that Man United have spent, they, they can't just get either the team, the formula, the manager, the ethos, the the leadership, the cohesion, mm. the, all those different elements. Pochettino's managing yeah. to keep those elements together. So I'd say keep hold of that manager for as long as you can because if you lose him, whew, good luck. Yeah, and the, the, the big worry as well as a Spurs fan, I mean... I haven't worried about Harry Kane leaving for a good few years, but I, I always think if Pochettino goes, if Pochettino went and ended up at a Madrid or even a United, you'd think how brilliant Harry Kane's been under him. You'd then start panicking about that, and you would. God, the thought, the thought of both of them not being there, I get the sweats just thinking about well, it. To be honest, it's well, awful. you know the thing about Kane, you know, people sort of say, "Oh, Kane, Kane is he dropping off or whatever?" I look at the, the vision that Kane showed in the Red Star game, you know. It reminded me of the vision that he showed in the Spain game for England, yeah. in Spain for England, where he's spraying balls around and he's he's seeing the pass and he's he's added that to his game, and I I think not that I think he would leave because obviously he's got a long time on his contract, but of the two options, Real Madrid or Manchester United, I would suggest Manchester United had a better option because if you look at Pochettino, <coughs> excuse me, give my coffee. If you look at Pochettino, when he arrived at Spurs, he got rid of a lot of the senior pro- pro- yeah. players who had been a problem. Yeah, He kept a couple who were onside, but mostly liked working with younger players. And the ones who you're trying to move on are either out of form or are getting older. Yeah. Uh, if you look at Manchester United, there are so many younger players and they are targeting more and more. You know, look at Daniel James, Juan Bissaka, mm. Mason Greenwood's a talent, uh, Rashford... Martial's still yeah. young, you know. Yeah. You look at some look, those players. It reminds me of the Leicester team where there are so many fantastic talents who are mm. Chilwell, Barnes, Madison. They look a dangerous team, Leicester. Very season. dangerous team. And I look at Man United and I see them in a, a similar position to where Southampton were when he took over, but with far more quality, yeah. far more status, far more potential. Yeah. So of the two clubs, I mean, Real Madrid have got loads of senior players who still pretty much run the dressing room. Yeah. yeah. You, I couldn't see Jesus and, and Pochettino getting involved yeah. in that because there's too much work to do to get players on side and to work with younger players. Yeah. Whatever. But Manchester United, I could see that to yeah. be the case. And if you look at the players that he's brought in, they're, they're young players, you know, mm-hmm. and I think he'll target more uh, and assessing your young players. Yeah, I'm very excited about him, actually. It's a shame the injuries have stopped him really settling and get going because mm. he looks like he could be a real player for a very raw talented yeah. player yeah yeah and I think it will take him a little bit of time but I think he he, he will need patience I, I'm quite excited by this defender that you've got Yafet Tanganga yeah who played he looked against, great in pre-season yeah yeah a really good pre-season it's a shame that he obviously went out against Colchester because he looked decent in yeah. there as well and I think that Troy Parrott is another one yeah. who is you can tell he's going to get into that team and score goals. And the interesting thing about... I said this somewhere else. People think investment is spending lots of money. But investment is actually realising the talent that you've got and giving them a chance. Like mm. Chelsea have done. Yeah. Reese James and Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount and uh, Fikayo Tomori and all of those young players. It's It's realising that we have to find a way to, to fit these talents into our team for the future mm. and, and, and giving them the chance. And even if they make mistakes, 
like Lampard has done with that Chelsea team, saying, look, I don't care. You know, he doesn't go into flash interviews and roll his eyes or think, you know, I'm going to go back to my senior players again. He says, I'm in it for the yeah. long haul and I'm backing you. And we've seen that's what Pochettino's all about yeah. with uh, Winks and with, uh, obviously, with Kane. And, and, you know, so many of the younger players that either come through the academy or that the club have bought. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I... I Honestly, I think that the, the future, if you keep him and he, and he, he fulfills his contract, is quite bright. Yeah. But if, if he were to go, if, if certainly if the fans... I, didn't, I saw at the Red Star game, the fans made it clear that how much they love him. Yeah, I think um, the majority of fans <coughs> are, st- are still behind him. But you do have the, the crazy minority that, that do think, oh, we'll get, we'll get rid of him and we'll get Jose and it'll all be fine. And it's like, <laughs> I, I don't think it quite works like that, personally. No. But, uh, no. Yeah, he still gets labelled Pochettino with the, oh, what has he won? He hasn't won a trophy. He get, he's, a, he's a nearly man, he can get there, but he can't get over the line. Um, Leicester sacked Ranieri the season after he won the title. Chelsea sacked Ancelotti the season after he won the double. So the point that the minority Spurs fans are making is, why would Spurs not sack Pochettino as this season we're going backwards? <laughs> That's the point. What, what, what are your thoughts on that as a, as a viewpoint? Well, you know, again, as, as somebody who, who has covered the club, if you're asking me what Pochettino's done, Pochettino's taken you from a club that's been one with your noses pressed up against the window while everyone else has been playing top uh, Champions League football to a club that's in the top four every season. He's changed the mentality of the team. So you can go now to Arsenal and win on a regular basis. You can go to Chelsea and win. You can go to Man United and win. You can come up against high-caliber teams in the Champions League and win. Yeah. Uh, the mentality is so much stronger than it was pre-Pochettino, where, I mean, under Sherwood, you know, I know he's, he, he had a lot of faith in Kane and he, and he yeah. did okay, but there was some... It's a calamity period, was, yeah. Was, yeah. I want to be respectful, <laughs> so I won't say too much. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I look at the young players that Pochettino's blooded. I look at... The money that he saved you in the champions, mm. it, sorry, in the transfer market. I look at the fact that he, he has changed the image of the club, mm. and I think working in tandem with the with the chairman, because I know there is this narrative, and I've, I've said this before, there is this kind of tired narrative that the chairman doesn't want to spend money, but I think he's been very sensible when you look at some of the money that other clubs have spent. Mm. You know, Man United have spent infinitely more than you guys over the last yeah. five years and where are they yeah you know look, you look at what arsenal spent in relation to you guys over the last few years and where are they you know yeah look that's not to say arsenal can't get a different manager who can impress upon them the need to get another center half or another yeah. midfielder you know and then suddenly it's all going to change because mm. they, they look like they're probably a couple of players away but I think Pochettino, what he's done in terms of moving you guys to another level, it, it's so one-dimensional to think that because he hasn't won a trophy, he's been a failure. Yeah. You have to build. That's the, he says it himself. You've got to build. You know, yeah. a bad team can win the FA Cup. Mm. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, Wigan won it, didn't they? Portsmouth won it. Yeah. Where are they? Yeah. You know, there, there are so many average teams who have won mm. the FA Cup or won the Carabao Cup and what have they done since? What did you do after you won the League Cup? You sacked Andre Villas-Boas a few months later. You know, so 
I, I just think to those people who think because he's... Those people who believe that because he hasn't won a trophy, Pochettino should go are people who probably get suckered in by people who want to wind them up. Yeah. Rather than yeah. people who think in the, in the wider context about what your manager's done because I, I think he's just a fantastic yeah. manager. And you, you mentioned earlier about how he's changed the mentality of the club and we can we go to these big away grounds with belief and often we do get results there. And mm. um, we'll talk about the game yesterday. So Liverpool beating Spurs 2-1. There was a huge amount of negativity surrounding the team selection and then the result, mm. especially on Twitter. Um, I think a lot of fans are forgetting the fact that Liverpool haven't lost a league game at Anfield for two years. Mm. And teams struggle at Anfield you know it's not you know and, and we narrowly lost we could have got something out of that game yesterday and I think that that what you say all oh, the mentality's changed as supporters going back even at the start of the Pochettino reign we would have just written off Liverpool away Absolutely. we wouldn't have even and we'd have lost 2-1 and gone oh I'll take that that's not yeah. a bad result yeah. we, we haven't been humiliated <laughs> and so I think it says a lot that the form we're in the form Liverpool are in who are absolutely flying at the moment yeah. for us to Go there and narrowly lose. Okay, you, you can never be happy with a loss. Of course you can't, but you've got to maintain perspective, right? That that is a tough ground. That you know, only five six months ago, you're turning Barcelona over four exactly. nil. You know? Exactly. I mean, what 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 did were you happy with the team selection? I expected changes. Mm. I, I I thought it was. I put this on on Twitter actually that I thought it was madness that fans were expecting the same team from Red Star to play against Liverpool. <laughs> Two teams that are completely different we yeah. were really really open against Red Star you're never going to go to Anfield and play like that and have you know six seven runners ahead of the ball it's, no. just, it's just not going to happen I was surprised Danny Rose was in the team because he's really struggled this season and Ben Davis did have an excellent game against Red Star so I thought he might have stayed in um, I don't think Ericsson was planned I think that Lamella would have started on the right he's been one of our best players this season and he got an injury I think it was Thursday in training so I think Ericsson was probably drafted in last minute You'd argue that Lamella would have been able to have coped with Robinson mm. better. Mm. He wouldn't have stopped him, but he would have coped with him a little bit better. Um, I was surprised that we probably had as many attacking players in the in the starting eleven. I thought that we might have, in terms of the team sheet, been more defensive. But then, if you look at the way we approached the game, that's sort of how you can stop Liverpool. Mm. You know, I know Liverpool had a lot of shots on target, a lot of possession. Gazaniga made some good saves. Mm. I don't think he made any saves where you were sort of like, "Wow, that has stopped a goal." Good saves, but saves I'd probably expect a Tottenham goalkeeper to be making. See, I, I, I slightly disagree with you. Know, I thought he, he, he pulled up a couple of fantastic saves. There was a pile driver from outside the box. I can't remember. Alexander name. Arnold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought that was a terrific save. And actually, I thought he had his, he'd had his best game this season because I'd seen him, I think it was against Watford, and his kicking was terrible. He looked very, very shaky in the yeah. Watford game. Oh, well, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and and there and there was one other game where I was uh, unconvinced by him as well, and it looked like it, it what, what Spurs done really, they could be have a problem. Mm. But I think that game will give him so much confidence. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think th- it sums up what I was saying earlier about the belief in the side. The old Spurs would have gone to Liverpool to try and contain them. Yeah, but the new Spurs go with their chest puffed out and they try to take Liverpool on. And I think as far as Pochettino is concerned. He's never going to go into a match like that having played the same team that he played against a side like Red Star Belgrade where, as you say, they were very open. I actually, I said this before, and I know some people think I was watching a different game, but I think even that 
five nil win. Yeah. There were some moments in there where I just thought players held onto the ball too long, where the final ball in, in the final yeah. third wasn't as good as it could have been, where Red Star had a couple of decent moments. And here's a weird one for you. I thought the first half hour against Bayern Munich was probably better than the Red Star performance. Does that make sense? Um, um, I'm very pleased that you've said that because I took quite a lot of stick after the Bayern game. I mean, we lost 7-2. Yeah, yeah, so you, you I took quite a lot of stick that. after that game because there were people slating Pochettino for the diamond. And I, we should have been 3 or 4 one up at half-time in that game. And absolutely. Son, who I absolutely love Son, he, mm. he's such a fantastic player, he missed a lot of chances in that Bayern game and he could have had three himself. And... You know, it doesn't excuse the fact we went on to concede no. seven. Of course it doesn't. No. But that game, if we'd have taken our chances tactically, we were spot on. And Bayern, you know, one of the top sides in Europe, couldn't handle us. Well, Neuer's a world-class goalkeeper. And it was Neuer's presence in goal, which basically yeah. ensured it changed the course of the game. If Neuer, if any other goalkeeper in goal, probably not any other, Ter Stegen would probably be in goal. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, but, but... Most goalkeepers would not have been able to have kept Spurs mm. out on as many occasions. And I think, that, you know, just going back to Liverpool, I I agree with what you said about the approach to the game. I couldn't have seen him playing the same side and the same system that he mm. played uh, against Red Star Belgrade. And I, I still, it's weird, but I still look at the problems that you've had as a club this season. And I still see you having a decent second half of the mm. campaign because you've got quality in the team and you've got goals in the team and you've got Son, who teams just can't cope with. Yeah, they're terrified of him. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say every team. I saw him against Man City and I just saw the way he went toe-to-toe with that. He's not afraid of any team in the Premier League, Son. And I think that... It, him in tandem with Kane, you've just got one of the best strike partnerships yeah, in the Premier League. And I think the problem that you have is defensive. Mm. And I think once you solve that conundrum, I think Davis, you make a fair point about him and Rose perhaps needs a, 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 to just regain his confidence a bit. Mm. And But then again, how do you regain your form? By playing. Mm. So maybe he needs that run of games to get it back. The right back problem needs to get solved because Foyth isn't a right back, and you know you've had lots of sticking plaster. You need to maybe solve that in the January transfer window. That that was probably the biggest uh, head scratching moment from the summer window that we let a player in Trippier go, who he was poor last season for Spurs, mm. um, and and I I still believe we made the right decision in letting him go, and it mm. was a, I just think it was a good decision for everybody, but to let him go and not bring a replacement in and it's, it probably wasn't for a want of trying and the supporters we never know how close we were to bringing players in we don't know but to go into a season with Serge Aurier who has been shaky at best in his time with us already and Carl Walker-Peters who has actually looked very very good in some games mm. but it's it's tough putting that amount of pressure on a young yes. player that hasn't played a lot of games and yes. no disrespect to him like if he plays 38 league games you'd argue that that's not enough to finish in the top four. Mm. That'd be the argument. Not saying that he won't come good, but that was a bit of a head-scratcher for me, mm. coming into the season without, a, without an established right-back in there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm aware that the chairman tried for a number of options before the window closed and, and just didn't manage to solve that particular problem. And Walker Peters was available to clubs on loan but eventually ended the window not having gone. 
but I, and I still do think they'll have another go at solving that problem very early in the transfer yeah. window in January yeah. because although Foyth can do a job at right back it, it, he, he's clearly not the answer long term. Mm. he's not right back so I, think, I agree with you I can see why they allowed Trippier to go uh, uh, he hadn't played well last season that's not a reason to suggest you throw a guy at, at, you know, overboard but clearly they felt they'd reached the end of the road with him yeah. and there are, you know, there are other players that they've reached you know the two Belgian centre halves, they clearly the club feel that they've reached the end of the road with them, and it's quite telling that they were available relatively cheaply when you consider mm. their quality, and clubs hadn't come in for them yeah. and snapped them up. Twenty five million pounds for Alderweireld, I would have thought would be a bargain, and that a club like Manchester United would have snapped mm. him up, and they didn't, and that probably tells its own story. Yeah. You look, you look at the performances from in the first few games, and you think, well, I can see why sides maybe didn't come in for him because he. Yeah. Yeah. I think as supporters, it's really because we've had this group of players for a long time. You feel like you, well, you definitely form an attachment with these players. Yes, and I feel like it's hard as a fan to. We, we need to be a little bit more robotic and a little bit more cutthroat and be yeah. like. Actually, that player's fading. I might really like him, but let's get rid. But it's, as a supporter, it's hard to do that sometimes just because when someone's been there that long... Mm, you form you, that attachment. You do, you do. But it's interesting because I think that Pochettino's earned the right to be trusted mm. over the last five years. You look at the decisions he's made, the team that he built in the first place, the signings he's made since he's built that team. OK, he did go for a run of bringing in players that... You could tell he was fishing in the bargain basement and it yeah. wasn't quite working. Yeah. Clinton and Jaya was a good example. Yeah, yeah. You know, so raw that he was in the butchers. <laughs> but but I, I think as far as the, when, when he's actually spent money and brought in quality, it's improved the team. And I, I think he, he deserves the right to be trusted in terms of the decisions that he's going to make to solve the problems that you have. And... I don't think any of the players who haven't signed new deals can have any complaints if they find themselves out of the team because if they're not going to commit themselves to the, yeah, to the club. And, and they might have missed a boat in doing that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I always lo- like to have the comparison of football to sort of just sort of your, your average man's job. And it's sort of like if you have a player that doesn't want to be there and is in the last six months of his contract, it's like having a member of your team at work in their probation yeah. or sorry, in their, in their notice period. And you know you're not going to get the most out of them, mm. so you're probably going to look for alternatives yeah. and think, actually, I'll have a, we'll have a different way of working because that, that, that's sort of finished now. So I think the January window is going to be very interesting. I just worry that we leave it late. You know, mm. I feel like we need to really be doing our business in December and when the window opens, we can get a player in rather than wait till deadline day, get someone in. It's not until March end that yeah. those players are kicking in. But What do you make we'll of the fact that for all your problems, the teams above you haven't got away from you? Well, I'm, I'm very. It's a, it feels like a very strange season this year. Yeah. In terms of you have Liverpool at the top, who you look at their record in the league, sensational. There have been a few question marks even about Liverpool this yeah. season in the yeah. league. You know, Especially the game against Spurs, the yeah. United game, the Leicester game was a late win, but fair play to them. They've got over the line. I think it's, it feels like a very strange season, and it feels like whatever team finishes fourth, that will be the lowest points tally mm. for, for finishing fourth. And I just feel like there's a lot of sides this season that are in transition. United have been in that, what feels like been in that period since Sir Alex has left. We're definitely in that now. Chelsea are. Arsenal, you probably put them in the same bracket. It's only really Liverpool and City where you think 
they're solid, they know what they know what they're doing. But I mean, you even look at Man City, mm. and there's there's a few cracks starting to form there. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to finish outside the top four. There's no way that will happen. But you even look at them, and you think, I'd fancy us against them in certain games. It feels like a very strange season, and I think that the average sides have done very very well at just gradually closing that gap. Mm. And I mean, you look take a side like Palace, mm. who's six seven years ago relegation candidates, and now they're you know. They'll be fancy in European football next season, or, or like, uh, at least being there or thereabouts come mm. the end of the season. So I think that the the average sides have done very, very well closing the gap. Here's a question for you: Would you take Zaha in the transfer window? I don't. I don't know if I would, to be honest. I think. I think he's a very, very talented player. Mm-hmm. For me, he's one of. He needs to be the star. Mm. I think it, he needs a team built around him, and that other players can compensate for. I mean, give him the ball; he can do anything. He can score. He can go past the man player past fantastic talented player but I don't know if in a Pochettino team mm. he would necessarily I don't really know where he would play for starters in our format we play a diamond a lot we play 4-3-3 but we don't necessarily play with wide men I've always thought Wilfred Zaha is effective when he's going 1v1 at a fullback, and yeah. I don't know how many how many opportunities he would get in a Spurs shirt to actually do that so not that he's not a talented player and he, he would improve us but I don't know if he necessarily Mm. is the kind of player that we need. I think if we were going to drop 70, 80 million on a player, I'd be thinking I want an established centre midfielder or I want a centre-half. They're probably our key areas. But very talented player. I don't know, he just... Maybe he's the, he's almost a nearly player. Like He's not quite good enough to be at the real elite sides. He's too good for Palace, but then is there a, is there a side in between? Mm. Maybe that's Leicester. Maybe but, I was thinking but, Leicester. But... Yeah. Would he go from Palace to Leicester? Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Leicester would probably wouldn't have the funds for him. No. But there, I feel like there's a lot of players like that around now that you look at and you think, good player, are they worth what they're going to cost? Mm. You know, mm. the, the, There's a crop of those players in the Premier League now and you think, I think that's the kind of player five years ago, six years ago, Spurs would have dreamed of signing him. Yeah. And yeah. we'd have been like, wow, that is the guy that takes us to the next level. Whereas now, I feel like we're there. And you yeah. look at him and you think, oh, I'm not sure. I think for a long time, your best signings has been your manager. And because he has made sure that the team works as a unit rather than relying on somebody like Azaha to produce a bit yeah. of magic. And I think you're, you're right. I agree with you. When the club did try to buy Zaha, they were priced out of it. And now you think, well, would you, as you say drop that amount of money mm. on him now when you could go and get quality elsewhere I mean I know there's a lot of talk about Hakim Ziyech yeah. and, and, and Van der Vaart's been talking about trying to persuade the chairman to buy him mm. young player still got a lot of good years in him yeah. would be so much cheaper than yeah. Zaha and listen we're not decrying Zaha's talent he's a fantastic yeah, player but for what Crystal Palace would, and then within their rights to demand yeah. that amount from his talented player, key to the side, long contract, they're within their and rights. And proven in the Premier League as well, which I think adds a lot onto a player. Yeah. Someone that you know, you can look back the last five years, he's done it in the Premier League, there's no yeah. there's no setting in period, you could put him straight in the side and he'd be great. And Ziyech, I mean, we played against him last year at Ajax. Yeah. Very, again, very talented player. That He feels more like what a Pochettino player yeah. is. Yeah. Somebody that's maybe not the finished article and a bit of a rough diamond and we'll get him in and I'll mould him into what I want. And that's my point about why I think if he were to leave the club, and, and clearly you, you, you guys from your point of view would hope he doesn't, he would go to 
uh, a Man United rather than a Real Madrid because they're all for the finished article there. Mm. Whereas uh, Man United have got a lot of rough diamonds still. Yeah. And at your place, you have a lot of rough diamonds. And I could just see a reshaped midfield with Lacelso and then Dombele and Sissoko and Zayach, who looks to me to be quite versatile. Yeah. Uh, uh, with Les, uh, with uh, Kane and Son. Um, I was on paper. So it's a strong side there that you've just listed side, off, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I could see a situation where Ericsson, if he doesn't go in January, then he's on the bench for the mm. rest of the season. And this also, once he gets fit, he's taken over. Definitely. And I think a lot of, a lot of Spurs fans look at that. And when we sign Lacelso, I mean, I can't say to have ever seen him play. Mm. And you... You search him on YouTube, and I mean, every player looks good when you watch their YouTube highlights. Who's that right? guy you guys always used to? I remember uh, Leandro Damiao. And oh, we were linked with him far, every window. And, then, and when, the, when the club didn't buy him, all the fans were saying, Oh, Levy's got no ambition, and most of the fans hadn't seen him play, yeah. you know. But yeah. he suddenly had this massive reputation because everyone had seen him linked in Brazil and obviously assumed he was going to be. It was Argentina, wasn't it? Yeah. But the, ne- the next big thing, yeah, you think, well, but let's, we're very excited about Lacelso and the, the games we have seen him in, he, look, he looks like the definition of composed. Mm. Even coming on against Liverpool, he only played five minutes, but mm. just come, just give me the ball. Me and like, I mean, I mean, I'm not in any rush, I'll play the game at my pace. Like, so I'm, I'm excited for what he's going to bring. He looks like he will be a long term Ericsson replacement, but I mean, time will tell really with him. Now, I'd like to move on um, and talk about a topic uh, in, in society and in football, mm. which is very sensitive um, for, for, for the right reasons. And a lot of people can shy away from asking difficult questions mm. just because they, they don't want to have to deal with the subject that is racism. Mm. And racism in football is a huge thing. And it's been, it's been brought to the forefront really recently with mm. all of the ugly scenes from um, the England-Bulgaria game the other week. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So... I mean, that England-Bulgaria game was just, as a fan, like nothing really I've ever seen in a football game before. You, you may have seen or experienced things differently, but mm. I mean, what do you think the England players maybe should have done in that situation? Because there's two options, right, when there's racism like that. It's you walk off mm. and you refuse to play, or you stay on and you, you beat them heavily like, like England did. So mm. what, what path do you advocate? It's a good question because we, listen, life is full of situations where if you're not in that position, you can tell people what they should do. But when you're in that situation, and, and those players, a couple of them talked previously, previous to the match, about what they would do, but they found themselves in that situation and they didn't do it. And... For one reason or another, the officials in that match didn't take the lead as they should have done. And I actually think that in that match, the decision should have been taken out of the hands of the players and the manager. Both sets of managers. And the players should have been taken off by the officials. Because my view is, if you go to work, it's incumbent on the, your employer or you know, the confines of your workspace to protect you and I, I I think often we're seeing football matches played in situations where the people who are taking part are not protected mm. and I just think 
there are only so many occasions where you can call that depressing, where you can say that it has no place in the game and stamp your feet in frustration. Eventually, you've got to do something about it. So I, I think the onus is more on the people that run it. I can see why the players didn't want to walk off at the time. Tyrone Mings' debut, they're on the brink of the European Championships. They want to get the job done and get out of Dodge. There are all of those reasons. But, you know, I think there was a massive amount of support for the players. Uh, not just from our country towards the black players, but within the team, from white players towards black players, from the fans, from us. Mm. Uh, and also to other countries, the solidarity with their black players in that situation as well. And I think it will take a team to walk off. You look at Harringay Borough and yeah. the support that they had when they... And I know Harringay is just around, down the road from yeah. you guys. And the support that they had. And I tell you, you know what? Nobody would have batted an eyelid about the story had they not walked off. And that's what mm. walking off does. And mm. I am aware and I have to respect other... People, there are lots of ex-professionals who say, I played the game, I would never walk off. I wouldn't want to give them the victory and I wouldn't want to disrupt the game because if you walk off, you let them win. But if you stay on, you let people racially abuse black players and enjoy the game. So who's winning then? Mm. They win if the game carries on. And I can't think of another industry where you go to work and you have to accept that a feature of your job might be that mm. somebody's going to abuse you in some way, shape or form, but you have to accept it. Mm. You have to put up with it. And I think in years to come, we'll look back in, at this period and think, how on earth, in, in what we call the modern era, did we not draw a line under it? Did mm. we not find a way to protect these guys? Because it just seems to me to be crazy. Yeah, and I think you make a really interesting point there. And UEFA have the the three-step protocol in place, right? Which I think is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because again, you, you talk about the normal workplace and uh, we're, we're sat here now. And if I made a racial remark to you, you wouldn't wait for the no. third time. No. You, you, you'd be gone. And, and rightly so. And the fact that it's sort of like, oh, we'll give you two goes. And then on the third one, we'll draw. I just, I, I, can't, I really can't get my head around that at all. Um, I think it was good that people saw how bizarre that three-step protocol is mm. and I, I think it was conceived with the best of intentions because they they tried to maybe make fans aware that that, that they wanted to give the, the game every chance of continuing yeah but again as you rightly said has been said many times before there should be zero tolerance on racism. And a three-stop protocol isn't zero tolerance. Yeah. It's three chances for somebody to abuse a footballer. And that should not be the case. Mm. There should not be... Uh, a, you should not have that many chances for mm. somebody to, to put you in that position. So, no, I, 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 I'm not a fan of it. I know you wait for want to stick by it. I know that they're not going to change anytime soon. Uh, from what I gather, an announcement on England and Bulgaria is due sometime soon. Mm. I'm not really expecting anything other than what we've seen so yeah. far, which will just 
basic look some people say you know you write about racism a lot but the reason I write about racism a lot is because I've been in my job for 20 years and in that time a, an incident happens and lots of people say it has no place in our game and they call it vile racism and all of the adjectives and whatever else but they don't do anything about mm. it and they leave it to fester until the next time and then we start from square one again rather than pushing through and being in a position where there is a momentum in terms of fighting against it. And so it's important to highlight the many cases that exist so that we see, sorry, so that we're not surprised when another case comes up or we are not asking the question, is this still a problem? It is, and we need to see how big a problem it is. So do you think that things really can change. So white men are so dominant in the management of football clubs and governing bodies. Um, how can those white men be using their privilege to actually create change? So you look at someone like Gareth Southgate, mm. and he's an amazing example of this, and about using his position and bringing people together and standing up for it. But I sort of struggle to think of many other examples of people like that. So it, can, can the situation change with it being so white dominant at the top? It's really difficult for it to change because the, the simple fact is that football isn't representative of society. And there are lots of good, well-meaning people. Lots of people say, do you think the FA care? And, and it used to be easy to kind of knock the FA, but I think they do care. I just think that they would be able to help themselves more if the people, uh, if the top of their industry, if they are all, sorry, if the top of their organisation was more reflective mm. of people within the game. And there are people who could go in at that level and be able to help them to address the issues yeah. that are around. Les Fernand, Andy Cole, Jason Roberts, there are people around who have mm. got the leadership ability, who have got the, the qualifications to go in at that level and modernise the top of the FA. But they aren't there and... I think if you were to take a snapshot of football and compare it to other industries, there would, it, it wouldn't show up particularly favourably. We've got zero referees. So we have 92 clubs who play football across four divisions, the top four divisions in English football, and none of those games are taken charge of by black referees. That's just criminal. And then you've got 92 clubs, 92 managers, less than a handful of those are black guys. Now you can watch football for 20 years or so, right? You're not telling me that in those two decades you haven't seen guys who have the leadership ability yeah. to take charge of football clubs. Yeah. Of course you have. Yeah. But the problem is that owners or chairmen seem to not trust those guys to mm. run their clubs so there are a lot of good people in football mm. a lot of good people there isn't you know it, 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 I wouldn't go around throwing labels or, or around in football because there are a lot of good people in football but the, the overall picture of this sport is that black guys are good enough to play but not good enough to manage mm. not good enough to lead and not good enough to run the game. And that is quite a sad indictment on this sport. Yeah. Uh, 
and and as you say, there there are so many black people within football, and it's like you talk about the the representation of the country and other industries, and the the, the percentage is just so so small. It's it's staggering. You look at your club, and you look at the amount of coaches, you know, and you do, obviously we we lost Hugo he he are, yeah. You know, but you know, you've had Chris Ramsey at, at your club. You know, Chris Hewton was assistant. Chris Hewton, yeah. who was assistant. You, you you've had you, so many good players. Who have oh, Led- Ledley King captained us, didn't he? Exactly. Greatest, one great centre halves we've had. I mean, I I think your your club gets it, and you have that that you know you're in a very diverse area, and you know I took part. I was helping some young aspiring journalists only at the Watford game uh, earlier this month it's still this month isn't it October yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, early this month and I was you know because your club gets it but I think I don't want to be accusing clubs or anything mm. like that I just think the overall picture in this sport is that we we don't value the black people who are within this sport enough mm-hmm. and and so that's why we we do have to keep talking about it so that the picture changes yeah and as i mentioned there there are so many black people within football but, but clearly there is sort of this ceiling for them so what what needs to change to actually make it a more welcoming environment for people of color at, at the top of the game uh, i i think for all of the schemes that have that we've seen in football the Rooney rule doesn't really work because ultimately people, owners and chairmen, you can't tell them how to spend their money, how yeah. to invest their money. Yeah. They will do what they want to do. So that's out of the window. I think that it might well be the case that you get black guys investing in clubs and, and taking charge at clubs and making decisions themselves. The FA, that's a different matter. They need to, just as they've reformed the uh, the FA and they, they had a greater female representation. They need to reform and have a greater black representation. Mm. And I I just think that I already know that a lot of ex black ex pros are taking administrative courses so that they can get involved in football administration yeah. and they've got the qualifications to be able to do that as well. I think that will change the, mm. the overall picture. But it's just a shame that you know we're almost two decades into the. The, you know, the 2000s and we're still thinking of a way to change it rather than it having changed mm. in all this time yeah um, well, some brilliant answers in, in that bit and I, I know that is obviously a difficult topic for people to talk about right? and people like to afford it but as I said to you off air one of the main reasons why I was so excited for this is because I know that you're not somebody <laughs> to hold back right in interviews and oh, you, no. you, you, you say it how it is and that is an extremely admirable um, quality so last question what do you think is going to happen with Spurs for the rest of this year and what would constitute actually being a good season for Spurs now I think the bar that you've set yourself means that a good season for Spurs is finishing in the top four I think if you were to finish fifth or sixth that would be a disappointment given the standard now the new standard that you've set for yourself given the mentality that I still think is in the team and given the quality that you've got as well what will happen with Spurs I think that come January and maybe even before you'll see a a defence 
the regular defence of Sessegnon, Sanchez, Foy, uh, maybe one of Alderweireld or, or, or Vertonghen, and Foy at right back mm. until you get to the window. And then I think you'll solve that problem at right back and then you'll have Foy alongside Sanchez. And given that those two Belgian players don't want to commit themselves, I don't really see that... The, you know that they could complain yeah. if they find themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. on the bench yeah. or, or as backup players, and and same for Ericsson as well. I mean, you must have been surprised when Ericsson actually said he wanted to go to Real Madrid. At the Shocked. End of last season. I mean, players don't make those statements anymore. Mm. Like, it just you don't see your you hear rumours and you team selection comes out at the start of the year and are nailed on first teamers on the bench and you start yeah. to think, oh, there's something going on. But it's very very surprising. I mean. It, Talk about putting yourself in a difficult situation, and it's just sort of like, you know, and then the club doesn't come in, and then it's like, well, what do I do now? Because I don't want to be here. I want to go somewhere they don't want me. It's like, it's awful, isn't it? It's sort of like half breaking up with your girlfriend, isn't it? It's like that's the situation that he's put himself in. So we were all very, very surprised at those comments. And for me, Ericsson is one that he's a very, very talented player. Mm. There's no question about that. You look at the stats and everything, he's been a great player for us. I've never been convinced that he's good enough to play at Madrid it's, when we first had him he was a significant he, he was better than Tottenham mm. for, for a number of years and I think that gradually we've worn away and we've got better as a club he maybe hasn't kicked on yeah. and we're about level now I would say and could he go and play for Real Madrid or Barcelona I don't think he could I don't think he could go and play for City I just don't think he's quite at that level it's not that he's not a talented player but I'm yeah, I just don't know if he could make that step up. It's a really good point, and I think as far as he is concerned, you look at the Europa League final, Arsenal-Chelsea, second half of that match, game's in the balance, Hazard takes it by the scruff of the neck, wins the game. You look at the Champions League final, you're a goal down against yeah. it needs for somebody to make a similar impact on that game, and Eriksen couldn't do it. And I think you make a good point about Real Madrid as well, because there is this assumption that you could just go to Real Madrid and Spanish football is easy and the intensity of that league is easy and because you're surrounded by so much quality it should be easy but you look at Coutinho and the, yeah. the, the quality he had at Liverpool and the fact that he couldn't fit in to a very talented Barcelona side it is just not that easy and I think you might well be right about Ericsson that you've now got to a level where you can kick on but has he as an individual kicked on yeah. and now it might be that the moment's passed for him and that, that you've got Lo do you need him you know does he have to fight to persuade yeah. the club actually I would like to stay and I would like another contract because where else in the Premier League is he going to go he wouldn't yeah. get into a City he wouldn't get into a Liverpool I think United could be one where they struggle and I, I, I feel like that could be a side in January that they might look at him and think we could get him for a snippet of probably what he's worth is he worth, worth a gamble but then you'd say to Ericsson do you want to leave Tottenham and go to Man United exactly. 10 years ago of course you would but, but now would you want to do that I'm not United sure. at the moment are a team very much in transition and I think as far as United are concerned it possibly might get worse before it gets yeah. better so do you want to leave a Champions League anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, but would, you, would, you know, would you want to leave a, a club in the Champions League to go to a club that is under a rookie manager, yeah. right? regardless of what you might say, yeah. he's a rookie, and a club that could win a game well, as they did on Sunday one week, 
and lose to his team in the mm. bottom half the next. Yeah. They're very inconsistent. Yeah. I think Ericsson has a little bit of a problem and unless he wants to work hard to continue his stay at Spurs, I think you'd be doing the right yeah. thing by indulging Les Elsa. Yeah, and my other thing on Ericsson is he has, a, he has fantastic games where he, he dominates matches and you think, wow, what a player. And then the next week he's not quite there and mm. he, can, he can just about get away with that at Spurs at Real Madrid. No way. I, so I, I, and you can tell that it does affect his confidence when, when he knows he's in a bit of a spell because football fans are brutal. Yeah. And especially at Spurs, you know, and we've seen the best of him. So when we see him having bad games, we're, we're all on him. Real Madrid's a whole other level to that. And I, just, mm. I don't know if he'd be able to deal with that. You know, you've seen someone like Gareth Bale go there. Mm. who's he, he, I mean, on the field, he's performed incredibly for Real Madrid. But yeah, the fans don't like him. And it's a tough situation for him to be in. And that's, you know, as mentally strong a player as you're going to come across. Absolutely. But Ericsson... And not only is that as mentally strong a player, but Bale is, is a... Ma- I mean, I think Bale's a better player than Hazard, right? I'll get a big call, but yeah, I think Yeah, it's a he huge is. statement. When you look at what Bale has won, I love the way... When I said that, you just looked at me and... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I, I think yeah. Bale, Bale is just a, a top player. And I think... Okay, you might say the years are catching up with him and whatever, but when you look at what he's won, mm. when you look at his contribution to those victories, yeah. when you look at the goal he scored in the Champions League win over Liverpool, the overhead kick oh, what a goal, yeah. from the edge of the box, you look at the games that he, you know, when he was at your place and the, the game, the, that Inter Milan Matt, yeah, game, yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, I, Hazard's had some good games, but I've yet to be sort of taken off my seat like Bale has done in yeah. many, many... I saw a goal he scored in the Copa del Rey final where he ran outside the pitch and yeah. ran back in. And went, you know, exactly. That, yeah. Those games yeah. bring a smile to your face and those goals... And they're all massive games as well. And exactly. That, 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 and that's the thing. And that's, for me, with Ericsson, what, what means he doesn't quite get in that top-class bracket because you look at Bale and you look at Hazard and they do, the moments you need them... They do pick the ball up and they'll do something, put the ball in the top corner and you just think, wow, I mean, Bale single-handedly in his last season did that seven or eight times for exactly. us. Exactly. Bale in his prime or Hazard in his prime? I have to say Bale. I'd lose all my listeners <laughs> otherwise, won't I? <laughs> um, Can we ask you one other question? Yeah. Right, I, I, I won't put you on the spot too much. What do you, as, an, as, a, as a Spurs fan, make of what's gone on at Arsenal on Sunday? The whole Xhaka yeah. instance. I mean, well, they have five captains, don't they, Arsenal? So they're lucky in that respect. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's disbelief, right? Now, my best friend is a massive Arsenal fan. So mm-hmm. for years, I would just get stick. Every, if they were winning titles, we were finishing 15th. I would be in his face if we drew with them. <laughs> that, that was sort of where my bar was. And to see where they're at now, where there's protests against the manager every week... Mm. They're throwing games. I mean, tuning up against Crystal Palace, you, you know, you expect a side to win that. That's what your lot used to do. Yeah, that's it. That is exactly. We wouldn't even have been tuning up to be honest, <laughs> would we? A few years ago. Um, but I look at what's going on there, and I just think it—it it really is how the mighty have fallen. And I just—I never pictured it. I think if they're brilliant teams of Vieira and Adams and Burkamp, and you just think, God, they're light years ahead of us. And mm. now I, I don't even look at their score, and I think that tells a whole really? story where I used to be like. With one, out of Arsenal done, oh, they've drawn a... I don't, I don't even care anymore. Wow. And obviously when Derby Day comes around, don't get me wrong, it's a different yeah, feeling, sure. but like, I, I'm, I'm just not that bothered about them. And that is a point that I never, ever thought I would reach as a Spurs fan, wow. to just think, I don't mind, I'm not even going to check, I don't care. 
Um, so I love to see what's going on there at the minute and all the turmoil. They're still a very, very good side, and I agree with you in the terms of I think if they do sort their defence out, but we've been saying that for the last eight years, mm. if they sort it out, they could be a decent side. How many teams are there at the minute that are nearly teams? There's quite a lot of them out there, and they're all sort of searching for the same thing. And I think those special players are few and far between now, and it's very, very difficult the price of players to actually go out and find, from their point of view, a top centre half. They've bought David Luiz, who I didn't think was the most horrific signing in the world. The partnership there doesn't look great for them, but who can you go and get? That's the thing. Even mm. with a hundred million, who can you? Who can you go and buy mm. that you know they're going to come straight into the side and be absolutely brilliant? Liverpool gambled on Van Dijk, and it, it was a gamble at the time. The, the fee mm. for actually how much you were paying for a player that was that had looked good, but did he look amazing? I don't think anybody envisaged him going on to be the player that he is now. I mean, he's one of the best centre halves in the world. One of the best centre halves the Premier League has seen. So. I think it's very difficult for clubs at the minute because it's easy to address the, the problem and say that we need to go and buy that player, but there's another thing actually going and doing it. So your question about what do I make of what's going on down there, love to see it, love the turmoil. I'm just, I'm just shocked. I'm I, just have shocked. you guys ever done that with a player? I mean, because the Xhaka thing is just re- really remarkable. And yeah. I'm trying to think, has that ever happened? As once. Well? I remember it once. Um, I had an Egyptian midfielder, Hossam Ghali. Oh, I remember who him. wasn't the most talented. Didn't he tear his shirt off? Yeah. Like, Martin Yol was Martin Yol, that was it. He yeah. came on in the game as a substitute. And, I mean, you might as well have put me on. It was, it was, <laughs> it was that bad. Um, and Yol, and you very, very rarely see managers strong after this, took him off. Because yeah. he, I think he picked up a yellow card and he was just That's right, horrific. Yeah. Took him off. And as he was walking off, yeah, he took his shirt off and threw it on the floor. And that, yeah. the, everyone turned on him that then. Was it. Yeah, that I, was it. I don't remember him playing for us again after that. So that's the only time where I've really seen that kind of animosity towards your own player. I like to think at Spurs with the type of fans that we get behind our players. Like yeah. We haven't been blessed over the years with having a real talented side. And then we're, apart from the likes of Ginola, you know, those yeah, kind of guys yeah, that really stand out. Berbatov, you know, I, I always used to love watching Robbie Keane just yeah, because sure. it used to amaze me for a strike that was so slow. He was always in behind. I could never <laughs> understand it. But we're, yeah, we're I think we're we're the type of fans that we get behind our players, and mm. even if they're not the most talented, if you see them trying, and that's when fans turn. I think mm. if a supporter sees a player not running or not doing what the supporter would do if he mm. was out there, mm. that's when you can get frustrated. And yeah, it's, obviously it's annoying when players make technical errors and it leads to goals mm. and that, but. That's, that's the game. I, I think that sometimes players lack confidence and, and, and it sometimes might be hard not to tell the difference between the two, a lack of confidence mm. and not trying. And it might just be that Xhaka has lacked confidence. I, I agree with what you... It was my general point before, you know, that there are a couple of players away from being a really good side. And I, they are the reason that Spurs can't rest on their laurels because mm. if it clicks for them, they've got quality up front, absolute top quality up front. And that's what they've done well, even in the period where they've not been great. They've always had goals. Yeah. Always, it's yeah. never been an issue. They've always had yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. if you've got that, you could, you're capable of winning any game of football. Well, that's right. why you guys drew the derby, you know, because you they were going nowhere in the first half and then Aubameyang basically comes from nowhere and gets yeah. that goal and suddenly, you know, your advantage is wiped out. And I think... If they, it, 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 it's recruitment, and I, I think that it's a failure of their recruitment that for all the players they could have found, 
late in the window, they got Louise. Mm. You know, you look at City and their recruitment, they're always managed to pull something out mm. of the bag. You know, Gabriel Jesus, Edison. Yeah. You know, the, the quality. Why can Arsenal as a club not find that? And that's their failing. Mm. But if they do find that, I don't think that there's any room for complacency at Spurs. Yeah. And that they will catch you guys mm. if, 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 you know, you, you, you guys aren't ready to push on. And, and then that would be a real shame that all the work that you've mm. done could be... Well, you, you flip that, don't you, and say that, you know, that's what's such a great motivator for us and for them, mm. is that we're, we're, we're neck and neck, really, at the moment. And yeah. there's always every season, though, you want North London to be Spurs. Like, that's yes. what you want. And you, you, you flip that, don't you? And you use that as your driving force that, look, come on, lads, let's get together. We've not been great, but yeah. they're five points ahead of us. We yeah. need to rally round. And I think that's where, where your homegrown players, are, they just add like cane yeah. and wings and they just really, they get it. They get, they get it. what those derbies are all about. And as, you know, as a fan, you love to see that, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely love to Can see Can I ask you last one, one last Please. one? Please. Um, we, we only touched on it, but who are your... Okay, I'll, I'll go first, right? Okay. Berbatov is one of my favourite players watching yeah. having covered your club I just think everything you does is so effortless and I was talking to an ex-pro who was saying to me if Berbatov was in a telephone box I know you're too young to remember yeah. <laughs> but if Berbatov was in a telephone box with three people he'd be the one to find space to open up a newspaper yeah. you know? and that's such a great analogy it's a yeah. great analogy because he is just so fleet footed so much composure from the goal slows the picture down and is able to find goals and I think I just think Klinsmann was magnificent mm. Ginola really really good McKean obviously goal scorer supreme yeah. Bale elite but Berbatov was just a beautiful player to he, watch. He, he was a fantastic player uh, Raphael van der Vaart was one for me yeah. that was just uh, just a sexy footballer that was just <laughs> what he was you know like you I'll, I've always preferred watching players that lack that yard of pace, mm. that don't have the bail I could just leave you for dead because they have to be clever. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't even mention Teddy. Te- I mean, Teddy Sheridan falls into that bracket as well, yeah. right? Sheridan, Keane, Van der Vaart. You can even argue put Harry Kane in that category. Of but course, yeah. Raphael Van der Vaart, for me, was... He was a real turning point as a Spurs fan. You know, we, we got him on deadline day from nowhere. Mm. Absolutely nowhere. There were no rumours, nothing. It was just, you put Sky Sports News on, Van der Vaart's at Spurs Lodge, and you just think, wow, how's that happened? We've done amazing. <laughs> he settled straight away. I, you know, I just think he was, the, he was the perfect match. The club and the player, everything that Spurs stands for, mm. that style, mm. that swagger, playing good football, maybe lacking a little bit of consistency, building your hopes up. Are they quite going to let you get to that next level? Maybe not. I just think it was a brilliant fit and he scored he scored goals in the derby straight away, which, yeah. you know, any yeah. player scored goals in the London derby, you're a hero. So he, he, for me, was one of my favourite players to watch. Growing up, Ledley King was, was my hero. Oh. He, he was my hero. Like, I absolutely loved the guy. Incredible captain. Yeah. It, the, the, the complete opposite of a stereotypical captain. If you yeah. think back of a traditional centre-half, he's going to scream and be aggressive. Yeah. And Ledley was everything opposite to that, but that was what made him such an incredible player. And I mean, yeah. could play centre midfield, played centre-half, stopped single-handedly some of the best players in the world at the time. And mm. Thierry Henry even said, mm. Ledley King was the best player I played against. I mean, Do you know, what I, a compliment. Think, I, I think that one of the saddest one in footballing terms one of the saddest aspects of the last 20 years is that he 
couldn't stay fit enough to be a, a, a regular fixture for England. Oh, you, uh, you, you think of what that England side, I mean, you could have played a back three of Ferdinand, King and Terry, and you think, incredible. wow, what, and Ashley Cole was a left wing back and yeah. never won it, and you just think, wow, and then where's, where's room for Gerald Lampard, Beckham, Skulls, <laughs> you think, wow, what a side. But Ledley was, Ledley was incredible, absolutely. Did, did you think that Ledley, okay, from me, covering your club, the thing about that struck me the most about Ledley is you could put him next to anybody and he would improve. Yeah, and, yeah. And I always saw it, you know, whether it was Dawson, whether it was... Basong or Gallas, you know, there were yeah, so many... Yeah, yeah. He played centre-half Anthony Gardner for a period. And Anthony, <laughs> Gar- Anthony Gardner looked good at that time, you know. Um, he was just, he was such a complete player. And yeah. what I loved about the man is you'd never see him tackle. Mm. And it's just, it was, it's the way you read the game, he mm. was just sensational. When you talk about players that give fans a lift and so he had such problem with his injuries but the statistics and as a fan you get to the game and you're reading the team sheet and there's some bang average players and then all of a sudden King's in the start and 11 yeah. you think we've got a chance yeah, we've got a chance today yeah. and there's an amazing story that Harry Redknapp tells where Ledley had been out for eight or nine months and uh, he'd been back training for a couple of weeks and we had Liverpool away and we hadn't won at Anfield for, for, for a long time again and um, we were short of centre-halves and Harry says to him, oh, do you fancy it Saturday? He said, oh, I haven't played for eight or nine yeah. months, you know, thought of going and breaking down and, <laughs> you know what, I'll give it a go. We went up there and won 2-0. Two and, nil. you know, and, and that was Ledley and he scored a magnificent header, North Stand, Old White Hot Lane against Arsenal. And it, again, that's just such a vivid memory yeah, of the yeah, cross yeah. coming in and him just shoving the Arsenal centre-halves out of the way, powering the header in and... It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I had the pleasure about eighteen months ago of meeting him, and I literally turned into a kid at Christmas. <laughs> it was it was it was quite embarrassing. Where it was quite late at night, and I'd stopped off at a local Sainsbury's to pick some bits up, and there was nobody in there. And I walked down the aisle, you know, not really with it. And sort of this guy walked past me, and I, I sort of did a bit of a double take. I wish I could see the CCTV back because it would be so embarrassing. And I was sort of like a shoplifter. Hit, I sort of like hit behind the aisle and was like was that Ledley King? And like peered around and was like, oh God, it was. And I'd always said to myself, if I ever met him, or if I saw him, I'd go up to him. And thankfully I didn't, he, he was I, the nicest guy. Can I ask you a question? What did he buy? He had, right, a basket full of chicken, which, <laughs> you know, amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, but he was the, he was the nicest guy. And it, it, it was quite late in the evening and the, probably the last thing he wanted was somebody yeah. bouncing around being like, you're my hero, Ledley. But he, you know, he was great. He stood and talked to me. I, I had a fight with him. Like, it, it was oh, absolutely awesome. fantastic. He's so. very, very humble and down to earth for all the quality that he's got and uh, for all the admiration that he's got from fans inside the club and obviously throughout the game because obviously he was an England yeah. uh, international. He's just so humble and I think he, that's the reason why he's a great ambassador for your yeah, club. Yeah, he's amazing. I think it's very rare to find, I mean you wouldn't find a Spurs fan that doesn't like him, but a football fan that doesn't rate him or doesn't think, yeah, that guy was quality. And I think that says a lot mm-hmm. that you, you think back, of, for, you think of club legends for different sides and there's normally a group of people that are like, oh no, not a fan of him or whatever. But with Ledley, there's very few people that have got a bad word to say about him. And he was just, he was just an inspirational player growing up. So Ledley will always be number one. Van der Vaart, amazing. Luka Modric, for you know the obvious course, reasons, was yeah. also another fantastic player. Yeah. And the current crop, you look at Harry Kane and you think, we talk about taking top four for granted. We take Harry Kane for granted so, so much at Spurs. Without him... That is a terrifying fall. Would you take top four now or 
an FA Cup. I would say top four, 100%. And there'll be people that have now turned off <laughs> because I've said that. Um, but I would, I would take top four for all the reasons we mentioned earlier. And, you know, we, we want to win the Premier League. We want mm. to win the Champions League. That's, that has to be the aim. Mm. I would love a day out at Wembley, win the FA Cup. Amazing. That would be fantastic. But for me, the, the goal is the Champions League or the Premier League. And you drop outside that top four, you're not going to be able to go and buy Dybala or mm. whatever top. They're not going to come. They're not. For as brilliant as the stadium and the training ground is, they don't want to gamble mm. on a side that are not playing the elite European football. So top four for me. But I don't think that the two, I don't think it has to be one or the other with Spurs anymore. I think we used to have to really decide. Yes. I think we're good enough. We've got a deep enough squad where yes. we can... Why can't we win the FA Cup and finish in the top yeah, four, you know? Yeah. Why can't we? The luck of the draw goes your way. Mm. Happened in the Champions League, you know? Like you Didn't that happen with... Um, my memory's all so horrendous for these games <laughs> and I go to them every week, but I seem to remember Chelsea playing an FA Cup semi-final on the Saturday and a Champions League semi-final on the Wednesday mm. and thinking they're going to have to change their side up for this. And they played strong sides in both matches yeah. and won them both. Yeah, so... It can be done, and I think when when you've got the mentality as your club has got, there's every chance that you yeah. can do it. And the luck of the draw, you know, the big sides go out, we see it in the World Cup, all of a sudden England find themselves in a World Cup semi-final without having played anyone. You know, mm. that happens, you'd argue that happened with Spurs in the Champions League. I know we knocked City out, but mm. we played Dortmund and Ajax. Mm. Good sides, but, you know, you, you think you've got to beat a couple of real elite teams to get to a final. So and the same happens with the FA Cup. You just got to get through those first few rounds. There's always a shock. There's always a big draw. There's always a Liverpool, Man United, or yeah. something like that. And before you know it, you can find yourself in a quarter final, quarter final, or semi final, and then anything can happen. So I'd love the FA Cup for that day, but it, it has to be about the top four now. That's that's, that's what it is. New standards. Amazing. Look, Darren, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to oh, you. Pleasure's all mine. And uh, remember, whatever happens. <coughs> Future's bright, future's lily white. Come on, you spares. <laughs> I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football, and I always thought that football was a very important game, but I never realized until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well, they're the finest team in Great Britain and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. That is schoolboy's own stuff. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. 
Glory past, glory future, what was, what is, what's next. We are Blanche Flower, Ardelis, and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream, to dare is to do.